0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged wastrel playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. My name is H.J. Doom and this episode we will be playing through Demons of the Deep, the 1986 fighting fantasy book by Not That Steve Jackson, The Other Steve Jackson, the American one who designed Car Wars and Illuminati, amongst other things. But before we get into the grisly details of our Undersea adventure, I should update you on the progress of my own adventure gamebook that I'll be sending out to my patrons as a Christmas present. The first draft is now complete, which means everything is proceeding on schedule. I'm confident of getting it out on time and fully playtested. It's currently 45,000 words long, so you'll be getting a fairly substantial block of text for your support. As I said in a previous episode, it casts you in the role of a paranormal investigator trying to unravel the secrets of an extremely haunted house in the country. There's thrills, there's chills, there's some silliness, and a great many references to things I like. I hope that you'll enjoy playing it as much as I've enjoyed writing it, and if you want to get in on that action, then all you have to do is go to patreon.com hjdoom and pledge as little as one English pound or your local equivalent to support my nonsense. Any and all support is gratefully received. Now, after the superhero excitement of Appointment with Fear and the futuristic spycraft of Rebel Planet, it's nice to be tackling a classic fighting fantasy game book set in the immediate environs of Port Blacksand, that most vivacious and villainous of fantasy cities, Steve Jackson's last effort for fighting fantasy was Scorpion's Swamp, which had many design innovations but lacked a strong narrative thrust and a sense of place. Jackson is possessed of an incredibly creative mind, however, and I feel confident that he'll deliver something intriguing in his sophomore effort. Demons of the Deep was published in 1986 by Puffin Books, with illustrations by Bob Harvey and a beautiful cover illustration showing a monster composed entirely of bones that have presumably found their way down to the depths. That beautiful cover is by Les Edwards. Without any further ado, let's dive into Demons of the Deep. Now this is a no-frills character creation, real old-school fighting fantasy stuff, so we've just got skill, stamina, and luck straight down the line. There's no alterations to the combat system and my beloved provisions are back in evidence which always makes me happy. So I've created a character, I've called them Salmonella Funge because that seems to me quite a heroic name and they have a skill of 11, a stamina of 20 and a luck of 11. I did not roll those strictly honestly, I have to confess. Demons of the Deep is adamant that making the right choices you can get through the adventure with even the most basic of characters, but let's be honest, I've never taken anything approximating to the optimal path through an adventure game book on my first playthrough, so I think I'm going to need all the help I can get. So, in a very real sense, let's dive in. You are a doughty sailor, a rover on the seven seas. You have many years' experience as a mariner, on great ships and small, on sailing boats and huge warships. Neither howling storm nor dead calm disturbs you. Your trusty cutlass has slain many brigands and strange creatures of the deep. In port you keep your listeners enthralled with your sea stories. Some are true, some aren't, but nobody knows the difference except you. You are five days out of Port Blacksand, first mate on the good ship Sunfish, when the pirate ship strikes. Swooping in on black sails like the wings of some giant predatory seabird, it rams its prow across your decks. Beneath a leering, sharp-toothed figurehead is her name, the Troll. Dozens of ragged pirates swarm across the rails and attack. The crew of the Sunfish fight bravely, but A peaceful merchant ship is no match for a pirate vessel. One by one, you see your comrades fall. At last, only you are left. With your back to the mainmast, you lay about you with your trusty sabre, wounding one pirate after another. The pirates back away from you in fear. You drop your guard for a second, but too soon. From behind you, a black bearded ruffian swings a huge belaying pin. You see stars, then nothing. When you awake, you are surprised to find you are still alive. The sunfish, a battered wreck, is burning nearby. Your comrades' bodies are gone, consigned, no doubt, to the deeps. You are on the deck of the troll. Its sails snap in the breeze and the pirates head for their island lair. You try to stand and find you are tied to the mast. A coarse laugh comes from behind you. Ah! So, our hero is awake! The speaker steps into view, and you see your captor, a bald, burly man in a once-elegant purple coat. He sweeps a mocking bow. "'Captain Bolladax, at your service! A pleasure to meet such a valiant fighter. I would offer you a place in my crew, but somehow you don't seem quite our type. Whatever shall we do with you?' Several of the jeering pirates begin to offer suggestions haul him, run him up the mainmast and use him for a flag. Troll for sharks with him as the bait. But Captain Bloodaxe waves them to silence. No, me hearties, how savage of you. You should be ashamed of yourselves. This one stood alone, defied us, slaying many of our comrades. Such a worthy fighter must be rewarded fittingly, and will leave the ship unharmed. The pirates grumble, but the captain shouts them down. First, we must return your good sword to you. He picks it up from the deck and replaces it in the scabbard at your belt. Second, we must give you provisions for the trip. He snaps his fingers, and the pirate brings a bag of black bread and salt beef. Enough provisions for ten meals. Now you see, that's disappointing. That's really disappointing. You know, if you've heard more than one episode of this show, that one of the things I love doing is imagining what kind of provisions might sustain me on my adventures. And being told that it is literally black bread and salt beef has robbed me of a small pleasure in life. i not a big pleasure. It's not a big deal. I'm not that upset, but I have been robbed of a small pleasure. And you, the listener, have been robbed of the potential pleasure of hearing me talk nonsense about sticky toffee pudding and cheese and onion crisps being good for your health. Oh, well, never mind. The pirate ties the heavy bag to your belt. Third, we must release these cruel bonds. He draws his dirk and slashes the ropes that hold you to the mast. He yanks you to your feet, your hands still tied behind your back. You'll forgive me if I don't untie your hands just yet, but you're a very dangerous foe. Behind him, the pirate snicker. And finally, we must give you your freedom. He escorts you to the stern of the ship where the lifeboats are tied. The pirate crew follows, grumbling. Unfortunately, he adds, we can't spare a boat, so you'll just have to swim home. With a powerful shove, he sends you over the railing. You hit the water with a tremendous splash. As Captain Bloodaxe's gifts drag you underwater, you hear the pirate crew laughing at the joke. And now turn over. So... I really like that as an opening set us up giving us some background about the kind of person we are some lovely little details and pirates are just a really good villain and these feel like proper pirates not like the ones in Seas of Blood who were maybe more historically accurate in some ways but didn't have that weird joie de vivre that uh, pirates often have in screen and in print there uh, is a nice picture of some pirates having a good laugh as presumably you look up uh, from the sea, seeing them leaning over the, the bow and, and having a really good hearty chuckle. It's a nice, nice piece of work. You sink slowly beneath the surface, holding your breath desperately. You try to free your hands, but the bonds are tight, deeper and deeper you sink. Curious fish circle around you and the world slowly turns sea green. The ocean is shallow here and you see that you are descending towards tall spires of coral. No, and not coral. A sunken city. You are drifting into the middle of a stately courtyard, now overgrown with weeds and coral. As your feet touch the bottom, you see lines of light blaze all around you. You gasp, losing most of your breath in a giant bubble. The whole courtyard is a giant magical pentagram, and you are standing in its centre. You have no time to appreciate the magic, however. You must swim back to the surface, or drown. The weight at your belt holds you down and you cannot untie your hands. At last, your strength fails and you inhale the cold water, but you remain unharmed. You realise that the magic of the pentagram has somehow protected you from drowning. You kick your way to a sharp coral spire and rub the rope against it until your hands are free. A strange feeling at your throat prompts you to look at your reflection in your shining sword. The spell has given you gills. You can breathe the water just like a merman. You find that your leather bag of ten disappointing provisions is intact. Evidently the spell is also keeping the food from being ruined by the sea water. So we now have a choice. Do we want to pull off the heavy belt and swim back to the surface, or explore the sunken courtyard instead? Now, if you've been listening a while, you know that one thing I absolutely love is the opportunity to refuse the call to adventure, and taking off the heavy belt and swimming back to the surface, that feels like refusing the call to adventure. So with the proviso that I may be invoking the sausagey finger bookmark rule Possibly at the earliest point ever, I am actually going to swim back to the surface. This feels like a terrible decision, but I just have to know what happens if you try and refuse the call to adventure. You would rather not put your faith in magic you don't understand, so you kick your shoes off, drop your heavy belt and swim for the surface. You gasp for air and feel a tingling. Your gills have vanished again. A pirate on board the troll sees you in the water and shouts loudly. Pirates line the rail to laugh when they see that your hands are not tied and you are swimming away. Their laughter stops and they drop a small boat to pursue you. This time, they won't make the mistake of giving you a chance. You are dead. So yes, um, absolutely fatal to refuse the call to adventure, and that's fine. That's entirely appropriate. I am, of course, going to make use of the sausage finger bookmark rule to go back and take the second option of exploring the sunken courtyard. Curious about your new surroundings, you circle a courtyard. You find that swimming is now very natural to you. Nice to know that a fictional version of myself is a better swimmer than I am. The magic pentagram is formed of deep red and green tiles, still clean and shiny despite the weeds and coral that choke the rest of the courtyard. The buildings around you are made of grey stone. One is both larger and taller than the rest, and seems in much better repair. You see nothing around you except fish. Then, from the corner of your eye, you spy movement in the large building. You realise you are being watched. If you want to go into the large building to confront the watchers, you can do that. Or you can swim up and out of the courtyard to see what else you can find. I mean, I think they're entitled to watch a stranger who's just dropped from the world above down into their courtyard. I don't think that necessarily means that they're hostile. They might just be bored and nosy. So I don't think there's any need to confront them. I'm going to swim up and out of the courtyard and see what else I can find. You swim away from the building, over the courtyard with the pantagram and over the city of Atlantis. Do I know it's called Atlantis, or have I just decided to call it Atlantis? You find that swimming is coming very naturally to you now. Looking down over the city, you see no movement except for fish. Buildings appear deserted. Some have fallen into rubble and most are damaged. But the effect is still one of peace and beauty. Three spots catch your eye and you must decide which one to visit. A huge red-coloured dome with a broken roof, an unnaturally clear smooth patch of sand, and a square stone building very well preserved. The sand feels like a trap, a naturally clear smooth patch of sand that feels like there's some monster lurking perhaps beneath the sand that's caused it to become clear and smooth. uh the broken roof red colored dome I mean, that does sound kind of interesting, and that's more interesting than a square stone building. I can look in a square stone building anytime. a huge red colored dome with a broken roof, however, that is uh yeah, that's unusual and that piques my interest. You swim towards the huge red dome on the sea floor. The closer you get, the bigger it looks. You swim in through the broken roof. Inside, you find a single great arena surrounded by tiers of benches. Do you want to swim down towards the floor of the arena, or would you rather investigate the seats? If I swim down towards the floor of the arena, a giant crab is going to come out and I'm going to have to fight it in gladiatorial combat, I'm 90% certain. So I'm going to investigate the seats first and hope that I can maybe just sit in on a gladiatorial combat, perhaps. I mean, obviously, the city of Atlantis is mostly deserted, but again, I, I, just, I just feel like the arena is an obvious trap. The arena seats are long, cold, marble benches. The current of water keeps them fairly clean. In the darkness, under a bench, you see something gleaming. Cautiously, you probe it with your sword. It is a sea snake! Indeed, there are several of them regarding you with lidless gazes. Do you want to try and kill them, or swim up and leave the dome? I mean, the sea snake thus far has done nothing to me. You know, live and let live. I've got plenty of black bread and salt beef to eat, so I think I'll just leave them to it, you know? You do you, sea snake. You swim strongly up and away from the stadium through the crack in the dome and over the city once more. Not far away, you see a patch of clean sand that you observed earlier. You can now see that a small object of some kind is in the middle of the sand. It Looks like we're investigating the obvious trap after all. You swim closer until you see a large area of clean white sand. Standing upright in the sand is a moss-covered human skull. As you approach, the water around the skull begins to shimmer and you hear a thin voice inside your head. What will you do? When you run away, listen to the voice or attack. there's a picture of the skull. It looks like a skull. Very scully skull. My compliments to the artist. Well, I'm not going to attack. That sounds ludicrous. Um, Am I going to run away? I don't think I am. I think I'm going to listen to the voice. Because at the moment, I'm mostly just a tourist. And I feel as though there's probably some kind of quest to be had in these waters. I mean, not that visiting Atlantis isn't nice, but I feel as though I should be trying to maybe find the main thrust of the story. The shimmering water forms into a vague human shape as the voice inside your head tells a sad story. This ghost, in capitals, was once a sea captain slain by treachery when his crew mutinied. He was eaten by fish and his bones were scattered so he cannot find rest. He asks if you will gather his bones and give him a decent burial. Yeah, why not? I mean, as it sounds, I have literally nothing better to do. I guess I could just have an adventure that's wandering around Atlantis eating salt beef until my food runs out and I have to go and do something else. Restore two points of luck. I haven't lost any luck. The ghost leads you to various places around the city to find his scattered bones. The creatures of the deep give you both a wide berth as you work. Some of the bones are exposed on the sea floor. Others are buried in sand or coral. As you work, you find a single gold piece. Before the job is done, you are tired. Half your remaining stamina, rounded down, is lost. So we have a single gold piece. I feel like the gold piece is one of the most volatile currencies in the world, or in the imaginary worlds, because the amount it buys just seems to be wildly variable. Half my stamina is a bit of a blow. So that takes us down to stamina 10. No good deed goes unpunished. At last you are finished. The skull and bones are placed in a large urn, wedged safely between two large rocks and covered with sand. The ghost is pleased. His spirit is now free. In return, he offers to help you by leading you to a sealed bottle nearby. He does not know what is in it, but he senses magic. He takes you to the bottle. We get to roll one die to see what we have found. I get a six, so hopefully that's something good. The bottle is made of blue glass and is heavily sealed. Through the side, you can see that it contains an envelope marked Greylock. You want to open the bottle and read the letter, discard the bottle or keep the bottle unopened, being a lot of very tricky decisions. All of these sound like plausibly the right answer. Am I just going to be nosy and open the bottle and read the letter? I am just going to be nosy. I'll open the bottle, read the letter. You should know better than to open other people's mail. Even the long dead people? I think past a certain point, it stops being male and starts becoming history. When you break the seal, water rushes into the bottle. At its touch, the envelope inside corrodes and bubbles. A foul, reddish liquid hisses from the bottle and chokes you. Lose two points of stamina. The ghost vanishes. You swim away towards the stone building you saw earlier. Stamina now down to eight. Eight. This might be a record for the fastest stamina loss I've sustained without getting into a single fight. Still, onwards to the same building. It's nice that we've got to look at all the points of interest. We haven't had to choose between them. That's some some nice design. You approach the building from the side. Swimming around to the front, you see a wide entrance with marble steps and huge bronze doors, now corroded and green. The doors are ajar. Within the building is a huge fact fish, which sees you and swims lazily in your direction. It is a grouper, at least twice as big as you are. It looks hungry. What will you do? Uh, We can attack with a sword. We can use a harpoon if we have it, which we don't. We can swim away or we can circle around it. Let's try circling around it first. The grouper mistakes your caution for fear. It rushes you before you can get your sword up. To avoid being swallowed, you kick at its nose and it bites your leg. Use two stamina points. Stamina now down to six. So I guess it's time to start cramming provisions. I'm going to eat two portions of black bread and salt beef, which will restore eight points of stamina, taking me up to 14. You draw your sword and slash at the grouper. I mean, technically, there's nothing to say that you can't eat two provisions <laughs> between the grouper biting you. And you fighting the grouper? I don't think so. Yeah, you may rest and eat a provision at any time except when engaged in battle. So technically, you can have a little sit down, some really good scran, and the grouper will just sort of politely wait until you're done before trying to murder you. Anyway, you draw your sword and slash at the grouper. It does its best to swallow you. It has a skill of eight and a stamina of twelve you cannot escape. Fortunately, the big fish is in search of easier prey. If you can hit it twice, it will flee instead of pursuing the fight. So that massive stamina 12 is actually stamina 4. But that's really cool because that's how predators actually behave. No predator wants to risk serious injury. So yeah, that's really nice naturalistic design detail, which I thoroughly approve of. So for the first time, this adventure... I'm going to roll some dice. I have driven off the grouper. It's swum off in search of easier prey. I feel like the option to give it some of the salted beef might have been a good one if you're looking at a non-combat way of resolving the encounter. But uh, yeah, still really nicely designed encounter. It doesn't count as a new iteration on combat because I think we've had that one before. But it's not just about iterating on the combat system for iteration's sake doing it in a way that makes sense, and that just made great sense. I really liked it. You swim between the huge bronze doors and enter the stone building. The interior, like the exterior, is solid grey and overgrown with coral. Huge stone crypts line the walls, each with its own statue. Some of the statues are human, while some have fishy features, but all are proud, noble, and much the worse for wear. So, someone at some point did the old H.P. Lovecraft breeding with fish people thing, I think. I can't imagine that's going to be massively alluded to, but we'll see. You try and read the inscriptions on the crypts, but they are all in a script which is strange to you. At the far end of the mausoleum, you see one statue in somewhat better repair than the others. In its right hand, it bears a huge rod, and on its head is a crown. As you approach, you see that the crown is made of green jade, elaborately carved in the form of a chain of leaping dolphins. It is not part of the statue, but it is a separate carving. Do you want to take the crown, or leave it and search the mausoleum for other things of interest? I mean, I'm going to nick the crown. You swim up until your head is level with the statues, and you lift the crown from its stony brow. As you do so, its eyes turn towards you and its lips move. It speaks in a voice so deep that you can feel your bones vibrate. Only I, I had a deep voice. I'm going to do my best. Who dares take the crown of Atlantis from its resting place? Will you fight for your prize or flee like a coward? What will you do? Fight the statue, flee like a coward, or return the crown? Much though I would like to flee like a coward, because that is clearly the funniest option. I'm going to fight the statue... Like, I'm really sorry, mate. My shit went down. I kind of need something I can hock for money. And the one gold piece I've managed thus far is is hardly much treasure. So I'm going to fight the statue. The statue strikes at you with its rod of stone and you parry with your sword. The statue's feet are rooted to the stone slab, making it very clumsy. But it is terribly strong. Picture the statue. It looks like a statue. Nicely done, uh, complete with the uh, dolphin headdress, which doesn't look so much majestic and regal as though someone just sort of sellotaped some small fish to their face. But hey-ho. Now, the statue has a skill of six, but a stamina of 16. So this is going to be a, a long old a long old go. And that's, again, that's quite clever, isn't it? Because the statue is going to be really hard to, to break. And even though it's clumsy over a minimum of eight combat rounds it's probably going to get lucky sooner or later and actually do you a mischief so yeah that's that's pretty cool uh you can escape uh you take a wound if you do something special happens if it reduces your stamina to two so hopefully this isn't even a fight to the death but if you defeat the statue you can leave with a prize so with all that said uh for the second time this adventure i'm gonna roll some dice (laughs) I have defeated the living statue, and as I predicted, it did manage to get one lucky hit in on May. It came close a couple of times actually, but only once did it actually manage to deal damage, so my stamina is now 12. As you are leaving, you notice a huge trapdoor in the floor. The handle is a bronze ring half a metre across. Do you want to try and open it or leave the mausoleum? Let's continue exploring. So, roll three dice. If the result is less than or equal to your current stamina, the trap door opens. If it is more than your current stamina, the door opens anyway, but you've strained yourself and you lose one stamina point. And I roll total of nine, which is less than my stamina of twelve. So I don't strain myself, that's nice. I'm gonna eat another portion of salt beef and black bread and raise my stamina to sixteen, because if stamina tests are gonna be a thing probably want to keep my stamina as high as possible uh nice that regardless of how you do you do actually get to continue it's not locking content potentially very important content behind a single dice roll i quite like that the trapdoor opens instantly a whirlpool forms and sucks you down to the darkness below mm. the trapdoor slams shut behind you as you whirl in the current you catch hold of something to steady yourself you're in pitch blackness do you possess a glowfish i do not it feels like there's quite a lot of stuff i could have found already it's going to be interesting for when i go back and try and uh, try and complete it after the recording unless of course i complete it on this recording which seems you know vanishingly unlikely but hey it could happen you are trapped in darkness with no way of making a light test your luck are you lucky i am So let's see what happens. Reduce my luck to 10. You float aimlessly through the darkness for a long time, going with the current. Occasionally you are cut by sharp coral fragments, lose one stamina point. Stamina now 15. Eventually your eyes adjust somewhat and you can see a very dim glow ahead of you. You swim towards it and see it's sunlight. You squeeze through a narrow hole and emerge from a patch of seaweed. You are just outside the mausoleum where you found the trapdoor that got you into that fix. As you swim away from the mausoleum, you spy a large, sleek dolphin. It has already seen you in his swing in your direction. What will you do? Flee, speak to it, or attack it. Now you see, I reckon that dolphins only save people when they know that other people are watching. I reckon most of the time dolphins just kill and eat people who fall in the water. Like they're up to something. Definitely up to something. So I'm naturally suspicious of dolphins. I'm tempted to flee, but I guess I will risk looking really, really stupid and try speaking to the murder fish. Do you possess a jade crown? I do possess a jade crown. Awesome. The dolphin squeaks back at you and you find that you can understand its high-pitched chattering. It tells you that it is glad to see humans around, asks you why you don't drown, comments on your sword, and asks whether you've seen any tasty-looking fish. You are hard-put to answer it because it talks so fast. Then it interrupts you again, saying, Look out! A shark! We will fight it together! It darts off to the left. Indeed, you see that a huge, sand-coloured shark is cruising towards you. You want to join the dolphin in fighting the shark, or retire from the scene and let them fight it out. I kind of want to watch Dolphin versus Shark. But, you know... I need to be somewhat heroic, I guess. The dolphin did point out the shark was coming, so I think it's only fair to give it a hand. Well, this is cool. Together, you and the dolphin fight the huge shark. You and the dolphin each make a separate attack on the shark in each attack round, but the shark must choose which of you two it will fight. There are one die for the shark before each turn. On an even roll, it attacks you, and on an odd roll, it attacks the dolphin the shark attacks its chosen target as in a normal battle. Against the other, even if the shark's attack strength is greater, it will not inflict a wound. It is just counted as though it had defended itself against it. However, if the shark's other opponent has a higher attack strength, the shark will be wounded in the normal way. So uh, it's basically the usual fighting multiple monsters at once rule, except that we're the multiple monsters for change. So that's cool. The Shark has a skill of 8 and a stamina of 15, and the Dolphin has a skill of 10 and a stamina of 9. So, with my Cetacean body, I'm going to roll some dice. We have defeated the Shark. Uh, The Dolphin took no damage, and I took 2 points of damage, reducing my stamina to 13. It's quite nice, having the Shoe be on the other foot. Although I did find I had to... um, Write down the shark's attack strength because the cognitive load of then doing mine and the dolphin's attacks was more than my soggy middle-aged brain could easily cope with. But uh, yeah, it was really good fun. Really enjoyed that. If you kill the shark, you take one of its huge teeth as a memento Presumably, to turn it into a really tacky surfer style necklace. If you have the jade crown and the dolphin is still alive, one thing happens. If you don't have the crown but the dolphin is still alive, another thing happens. And if the dolphin is dead, you have a third thing happen. So we are jade crown and living dolphin. The dolphin introduces itself. It says that its name is Kikweet. See if that's how it's pronounced. I might just say Kikweet. It also tells you that it knows someone who might be able to help you and offers to take you there. You accept gladly. Vaulting onto Keek Wheat's back, you ride through a hidden break in the coral reef, over a steep underwater cliff, and down to a patch of sand between a sunken galleon and a huge iron gate that opens into an underwater garden. "'Go through the gate, turn left, don't touch anything!' the dolphin chatters. "'If you need help, call for me!' It arrows off and vanishes." Would you like to proceed through the gate, or would you rather look at the sunken ship first? I mean, we're told to just go straight through the gate, weren't we? So we will go and have a look at the sunken ship. You approach the sunken ship. The masts are still tall and straight, and a few rags of sail are still waving in the current. But a great hole has been torn in one side. You can see movement inside. Something indistinct but large is making its home there. Do you want to investigate or go elsewhere? Uh, there's a nice nice little picture of the ship that looks suitably wrecked and ruined. I mean, we've kind of been warned off twice, haven't we? I think I'll listen to the second warning. Not far from the ship, you see an entrance to the underwater gardens. You swim towards it. The underwater gardens seem to be laid out just like a formal garden on land. You swim through the heavy iron gate, noting that it is not at all rusty. It feels like iron is not necessarily the best thing to be building gates out of, Underwater. Inside the gate, you see many beautiful specimens of seaweed, coral, and water plants. Instead of birds, the trees are filled with coloured fish. It is eerie but peaceful. A few yards from the gate, the path splits in two. Do you want to go left or right? Now, Keekwee told us a direction to go, but I can't remember what it was because that was literally seconds ago and my brain is soggy and middle aged. I think he said left. And anyway, it's a left-right decision, the first left-right decision we've had, which I guess makes sense for a more kind of 3D environment underwater. Uh, And whenever we have a straight left-right decision, we always go left. So let's hope Kikwit said left, because that's where we're going. The path winds between more seaweed and coral displays. Soon you come to a small clearing. In the middle of the clearing is a marble fountain. But instead of shooting water, the fountain releases a constant stream of fine bubbles which drift to the surface far above. Within the bowl of the fountain, you can see something glittering. Do you want to pick it up, or do you want to ignore the fountain? Picture of the fountain, it looks pretty cool the artist has rendered the bubbles as sort of spraying downwards again like a water fountain would and like a air fountain totally wouldn't so there's something glittering in the bowl but i do remember dimly from all those seconds ago that uh Kikweet said don't touch anything so we will ignore the fountain and go on you enter a part of the garden that looks rather like an orchard tall branches of coral support vine-like plants bearing red and orange fruit On the sandy floor of the garden, small crabs and fish are picking at a fallen fruit. Do you want to sample a fruit or go on without eating? Well, I will go on without eating because, again, I was told not to touch anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go straight on. The path curves and branches ahead of you. It opens into a very neatly kept clearing. Within the clearing is an ordinary-looking cottage surrounded by a great iridescent bubble. Inside the bubble, you can see ordinary land-dwelling shrubs and even a cat. Oh, cat. I love cats. Even my cat, who's a massive, massive pain in the backside. He's delightful, though. He is delightful. You swim closer and peer through the bubble into a window of the cottage. Inside, you can see an old man sitting at a desk. Our first old man of this fighting fantasy book. Steve Jackson has done his homework. He knows that sooner or later, all... Pointing fantasy books need to have an old man in them. Suddenly, he becomes aware of you and looks up. Meeting your eye, he waves you towards the front of the cottage. His attitude is brisk and no nonsense. If you want to swim back into the cover of the gardens, you can, or you can go around the front to meet the old man, and that is what we shall do. The door opens and the old man strides out. He introduces himself as Greylock. Ah, that's the guy whose mail I opened, so he's not dead which does mean that yeah I was just opening his mail rather than engaging in historical research so you know fair dues, fair dues. cautiously you step through the protective bubble feeling your skin tingle once inside you find that you are breathing air he chuckles at your surprise you are no wizard then you tell him about the pentagram that bestowed the gills on you and he nods a powerful spell don't worry my home here is under a different enchantment which will not interfere with your protection you may have heard the name greylock before do you possess something bearing that name I do not and I'm hoping it's not vital because I think it was a one in three chance of getting something with his name on. Old Greylock is full of questions and you are not entirely sure you can trust him. He is displaying a very keen interest in your doings and in the things you have found during your sojourn in Atlantis. Suddenly from a pocket of his long robe he produces a wand. Do you want to attack him before he can use the wand or wait and see what he does? So the message to Greylock was a trap. So whoever was writing it to him did not want probably good things to happen to Greylock. Now, did they have a point is the question, whoever it was. I think also, so if he's evil, does that mean that the dolphin is also evil? I mean, I said earlier that I think most dolphins are evil. Most people don't mistrust dolphins the way I mistrust dolphins. So I'm going to assume that Steve Jackson buys into dolphin propaganda, and uh, I'm going to wait and see what Greylock does. He sketches a frame in the air around you and studies you as though you were a picture in a gallery, muttering to himself, bravery alone will do you no good, he states. Cunning will bring victory. Bravery and cunning together will make you a fortune. He studies you further. Have you any black pearls? He asks. I do not. Unfortunate, says Greylock. They contain powerful magic which might have made your quest easier. But uh, if you have found none yet, I doubt you will locate enough to do the job before nightfall. Still, there are other ways. I would advise you not to confront your foes directly. But if you cannot go to them, you can bring them down to you. You press for an explanation. There is more than one way to skin a cat or a pirate, replies Greylock obscurely. But if you don't have the tools for the job, you can talk to the sea dragon. He's treacherous and greedy, but he can help you, if he wants to. He changes the subject abruptly. What about silver pearls? Have you any of those? No, 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 no. That's very unfortunate, sighs Greylock. Never mind. Well then, says the old wizard, that is about all I can do for you, and you have to hurry, you know you consider Greylock's advice. Do you want to find the sea dragon, or would you rather not meet the sea dragon? I mean, I'm going to try and find the sea dragon, because revenge on those pirates, that sounds kind of awesome. It's a nice, very human motivation, that revenge. I mean, it's not a nice motivation, it's a, a dark and sinister motivation, but it fits very nicely with the Vibe of the fighting fantasy books, where you don't tend to always be playing straightforwardly heroic characters you there's a lot of kind of like weird chances you get to play. You tell Greylock that you want to find the sea dragon. Oh, very well, he replies, good fortune to you. He escorts you back to the front door of his cottage. When it opens, you see not the gardens, but a weed-lined tunnel. A glistening film holds back the water that fills the tunnel. You lower yourself through, feeling a tingling sensation as you cross the magical barrier. The door closes behind you. The tunnel enters a large cavern. The walls have been cut and faceted to bring out the beauty of the rock. Little niches contain glittering crystals, attractive plants or anemones, and other undersea curiosities. I just want you to know that I nailed the word anemone there on the very first take. I am obscurely pleased with myself. You swim along, admiring the exhibits. Then you see a merman swimming towards you, barbed trident at the ready. Do you want to attack him or talk to him? Well, there's a picture of the merman. It's a good picture of a merman. Uh, He looks, I would say, cheesed off to be part fish. As though, uh, you know, woke up this morning, still quite a bit fish. So yeah, he's got a kind of sullen, sulky demeanour. But I do feel like trying to talk is probably the way forward. The Merman challenges you to explain your intrusion. You respond politely, saying you are looking for a way out. I mean, I'm looking for a dragon. He becomes affable and says, Just so long as you aren't one of the Deep Ones, we are at war with them. He escorts you through the cavern, which proves to be spacious and full of mermen and mermaids. Nice to see the Deep Ones with a bit of an H.P. Lovecraft reference. It's kind of weird thinking back that in 1986, H.P. Lovecraft references were still kind of niche, rather than being absolutely everywhere. You must let us show some hospitality, he says. Our sauna baths will make a new person of you. Or you could try your luck in our games room. I feel like the sauna baths is the way forward. Yeah, we'll go for a sauna rather than the games room. Even though in real life, I absolutely loathe saunas. I've only been in one once and it was horribly reminiscent of an asthma attack. I mean, obviously I have asthma. The sauna baths are luxurious indeed. After a few minutes of relaxation, you feel much better, but somewhat strange. As you leave, you catch sight of yourself in the mirror. The merman was not exaggerating. The bath did make a new person of you. So re-roll your stamina, skill, and luck. Wow. Okay. So my new skill is 11, which is my current skill. My new stamina is <laughs> 24. Absolute bonanza. And my luck remains... Oh, no, no. Uh, my current luck is 10. So uh, my maximum luck is now 10. So skill 11, stamina 24, luck 10. That is a very strange thing to do, still. It has effectively like massively healed me as well because your uh, stats return to their their, their, initial, their new initial scores. You decide to leave the friendly mermen before something even stranger happens. I feel as though after a very strong start exploring the sunken city of Atlantis, Steve Jackson's kind of allowing things to sort of just just drift away. The mermen enjoyed your visit, and they crowd around you to wish you good luck. Knowing of your quest, they offer advice. If you feel very brave and lucky, they tell you, you should visit the sea dragon. But he is dangerous. If you need information to help you find your path, you should visit the sunken cathedral. And if you need good fortune, you should seek out the water sprite. But beware of hungry crabs. Good life advice in general, I think. They will point out the path towards any of these. So, do we want to go to the Sea Dragon, the Sunken Cathedral, or the Water Sprite? Well, we told Greylock the Sea Dragon was what we fancied, and that's what we will go towards. The cave opening in the cliff is easily twice your height and broad in proportion. On the rocks around the opening, you can see huge scratches like the marks of enormous claws. I suspect that they are the marks of enormous claws, rather than being like the marks of enormous claws. You feel dwarfed as you swim slowly inside. The interior of the cavern is dimly lit, but brightens as you continue. Rounding the bend, you confront a huge sea dragon curled up on a gleaming pile of treasure. It fixes you with an eye as big as a cannonball. You see, that's a simile. What will you do? Flee, attack, or tell it the story of your adventure. There is a picture of the sea dragon. He does have really big eyes, and yeah, it kind of looks a like a kind of eel and dragon loved each other very much and felt certain urges and lo and behold a dragony eel thing was born so i'm going to tell it the story of my adventures because allegedly it can help me you doubt that you even could flee from the creature and you are certainly not anxious to fight it your only hope is to talk to it what will you appeal to in your speech its goodwill, its greed or its hatred of pirates. Well, we know that it's a greedy, greedy creature, so that's what we will appeal to. I am on the track of a pirate ship, you say. If you can help me destroy it, you can have all the treasure for yourself. All I want to do is finish off the pirates. Its eyes gleam and it runs a possessive claw through its golden hood. Agreed it rumbles, but I cannot follow you around like a nursemaid human. If you find your pirate ship, just clink two gold coins together three times, and then three times again. I will hear it, and I will come. Do you have two gold pieces to clink together? I do not have one gold piece. You can't clink something against itself. It just doesn't work physically. He says you don't learn anything on this podcast. But I don't have two gold pieces, you say. Can I borrow them from you for a little while? The dragon roars a refusal and curls tightly around its hoard. You should have known better than to ask a dragon to part with gold, even for a moment. Seeing light towards the back of the cavern, you swim hastily in that direction, out of a narrow tunnel and up towards the light. You emerge from underground in the middle of a green meadow of soft seaweed. The water tastes clean and fresh here, like mountain air. In the distance, you can see the grey spires of the sunken cathedral you were told about. Close by, you can see a magnificent seahorse grazing on the meadow. So I can go to the cathedral, we can attack the seahorse, or we can pick some seaweed and approach the seahorse. Um as well as having a deep distrust of dolphins, I also do not care for horses. Do not care for horses at all. I don't think horses like people. I don't think they like being ridden about. They're just waiting, waiting for their chance to strike. And I see no reason why a seahorse should be any more or less misanthropic than a land horse. So I'm just going to go directly towards the cathedral. Ignoring the seahorse, you swim towards your goal. As your shadow passes over it, the seahorse spooks and swims away, but it soon gets over its fright and returns to its grazing. As you approach the sunken cathedral, you pass over an area of broken stone covered with nasty-looking, writhing creatures. Do you want to swim down to investigate, or swim harder to get past? I'm guessing there's some kind of environmental hazard. Let's give them a miss. Well, swim harder. You swim past most of the creatures, but a few block your way and surround you you must fight them. Treat these bloodworms as a single foe. Bloodworms have a skill of six and a stamina of six. You cannot escape. Okay, this should be brief. I'm gonna kill some worms. I'm gonna roll some dice. I have defeated the bloodworms very handily without suffering a single point of damage. The swimming bloodworms are dead. You hurry on towards the cathedral before the others can block your way. You approach the sunken cathedral and circle it. It is a huge gothic structure complete with gargoyles on the roof. You swim through the front doors and into a great hall. Your attention is immediately caught by the vast stained glass windows lining the hall. They depict many sorts of scenes, some underwater, some on land and some so odd you cannot identify them. The curious thing about the windows is this. Although the scenes do not move, they change. Whenever you look away from a window, it is different when you look back. As you look back and forth, you see a picture of yourself in one window as you were being forced overboard from the pirate ship. A moment later in another window, you see the same pirate ship from above being eaten by a giant fish. No, as you look closer, you see the fish is an island and that the ship is anchored in a cove that forms the fish's mouth. What do you want to do now? Keep watching the miraculous windows, look around the cathedral, or leave? I'm gonna keep watching the miraculous windows, they are like grey entertainment. As you watch, a school of beautiful angelfish swims into the hall, as if in response the next window you look at depicts more angelfish. You laugh at the thought of an angelfish in a cathedral and wonder where the devilfish is. Sure enough, the next window shows a huge devilfish. So realistic it appears to be swimming towards you. In fact, it is. What do you want to do? Attack it, ignore it, or flee? I guess we will flee? Um, yeah, we'll flee. You dodge away from the attacking devilfish. Test your luck. So, we are... Lucky! Luck now reduced to nine. You jump away from it. Excellent. You dodge towards one of the windows and fall, but into the picture, not through the window. Ooh, exciting. You find yourself facing a man sized fish, or well, perhaps it's a very fishy looking man in a tall plumed hat. He stamps a booted foot, salutes you with his rapier and moves towards you. Yeah, this is kind of like the alternate take on a merman. Um there's a nice picture. Dressed in kind of, um, say, 16th century finery. He's got kind of like his hose. He's got something that looks a bit like a ruff. And he's got a sort of doublet on. And a silly hat. And a very fishy face. So uh, I guess I'll try and talk to him. The strange swordsman introduces himself as Serrano the Swordfish. I am the greatest swordsmaster in all of the oceans, he says grandiloquently. You must have been sent here for lessons. My fee is one black pearl or two gold pieces. Everyone is better for a lesson from Serrano. Uh, I do not have the black pearl or two gold pieces, so it sends me a particular way. Um, apologies to anyone French listening, by the way. No matter, he says. Serrano knows well what it is like to be penniless. I will instruct you anyway for the love of the art. I should point out that he's not written as French. I have literally just decided that he's French. He offers you a drink from his flask and you accept. You instantly feel stronger and you regain two stamina points, or enough to raise your stamina to ten, whichever is higher. You have no sword. He tosses you on. Serrano salutes you and drops into an on guard position. And defend yourself, he says. We shall test your skill. You fight. Now, Serrano has a skill of eleven and a stamina of ten, but the fight is over. When one of you has suffered three wounds so I'm going to um, fence with this unfortunately um, xenophobic caricature of a fishman I'm gonna roll some dice so uh the fight is over Serrano successfully hit me three times I managed to hit him two so I've been reduced to stamina 18 and uh, yeah let's guess that's my punishment for uh, such a grotesque caricature French accent. The fight ends. You may eat provisions if you need to regain strength. Serrano congratulates you on your performance. Of course, you did not win. Don't feel bad. You could not be expected to win against the great Serrano, but you did well. Your skill score goes up by two points, and your initial skill score is also raised by two Serrano stamps his foot again, and you find yourself back in the open ocean in the middle of a patch of broken timbers. So, my skill is now 13. You look around you. You are in the midst of some great wreckage, whether of a ship or a building, you cannot tell. You are surrounded by logs, stones, and scraps of wood and metal. Out of the corner of your eye, you see a flash of movement. Then you feel a tug at your belt. You realise that there are little octopuses all around you, watching you with their great eyes and investigating you with their tentacles. What will you do? Flee, attack them or offer them some food. There's a nice picture of a little pod of octopuses. Octopi? Octopuses. Oh, you see, I love an octopus. I've been down on some of the animals that we've we've come across so far, but I love me an octopus. Uh, So I'm going to offer them some food. Do you possess a crab's claw i do not you toss one provision onto the ground most of the octopuses go for the food but a few are more interested in you and your bag Do you want to pull them off gently with your hands or do you want to attack them with your sword so these are provisions it's fine i will pull them off gently i have no wish to harm an octopus you free yourself and swim away As you leave, you realise that the octopuses have stolen one possession of your choice from your bag. I can't give them the gold piece. I need that. I don't want to give them the jade crown. I think I need that. I guess I can have the shark tooth. Yeah, happy to donate a shark tooth to the cause. Do you want to examine the huge coral formations in the distance or go in the other direction? I think we'll go and examine the huge coral formations. You swim towards the huge formation of coral. It seems to take the form of a Wall surrounding three sides of a huge rock bowl. You enter through the open side and swim towards the inside of the wall. Then, looking down, you see enormous eyes looking back up at you. Ten huge tentacles unfold and reach out. The creature below you is the legendary Kraken, a monster big enough to sink a ship. Its great beak opens and closes. What will you do? They've got a picture of the Kraken. I mean, you know what a Kraken looks like. It looks like one of those. Pity there's no ship or object for scale. This could be a perfectly ordinary sized squid. Uh, But yeah, I understand the artist couldn't really feasibly put anything in that would actually give any suggestion of scale. So um, that's just the way it is. So I want to swim down and fight the Kraken. That seems like suicide. Try and hide in a niche in the coral wall. That also seems like suicide. What with those questing tentacles of it turn around and make for open water we'll turn around and make for open water now swimming as fast as you can you dart for open water to no avail a tentacle wraps about you and draws you to the huge beak you are only a morsel to the kraken but your journey is over well there we go demons of the deep I'm not too upset by being killed by a kraken. That's pretty classic fantasy sea monster territory. So, you know, a privilege, a privilege to be murdered by a kraken. I'm going to be back with a few closing thoughts in just a couple of seconds. Until then, tatty bye. That was Demons of the Deep. Firstly, I want to say I had a very good time playing through it but I had an even better time going back and trying to finish it. It's actually pretty easy to get to the end of the story alive. There's several different routes that will get you to some sort of showdown with the pirates, and then several different ways that showdown can play out. There's a bunch of different endings, good and bad, and I found that they were expertly judged. The first time I got to the end, I had to abandon my quest for revenge, and just go back to being a sailor. The second time... I got revenge, but no treasure. A third time, I did a bit better. I think the fourth or fifth attempt enabled me to nail the very best ending, and that felt all kinds of satisfying, and like the difficulty had been kind of well judged. I think it's absolutely nailed the gaming end of narrative gaming. It feels like playing a video game, in the sense that there's a pleasure to be had from getting to the end credits for the first time, but even more pleasure to be had from teasing out the optimal path through its little ways. It's very well balanced. You've a sense on each playthrough of which bits of the story you have already optimised, so you know what you're looking for each time you go through. So to get to the best ending, that requires you to collect no less than eight magical black pearls. But, and this is the bit I really like, collecting two, four, or six black pearls will net you different iterations on that ending. And that meant that there was always a reason to go back and try again and just push it that little bit further. And there are also two routes to the final encounter with the pirates, one very easy to find and one very tricky. But if you find the tricky route, then you've almost certainly found enough black pearls to get the very best ending. And there's this wonderful feeling as I was playing through of everything just slotting neatly into place. I knew I'd found the optimal route from finding new routes between some of the set piece encounters. It just feels very nice to play it well, much like a good video game. And it was fascinating to discover that that's actually a big chunk of the adventure that I missed at the start. Those early buildings in the ruins of Atlantis, they hide a surprising amount of material and it was really good to find because when I first set the book down it felt like there were some missed opportunities. In truth I think I would have been perfectly happy if the entire adventure had been exploring the underwater ruins of Atlantis and maybe doing a, a sunken galleon at the end. Those felt like the core underwater adventure experiences to me so on the first playthrough I felt a little bit short when there wasn't that much of Atlantis in it, so it was very, very pleasing to go back and find much more of that kind of thing to enjoy on the subsequent playthroughs. I think this highlights an element that the encounters are, to be fair, a bit of a mixed bag. There's a lot of great fish material in there. If you like fish, you are sorted. Uh, There's the grouper you can chase off with a harpoon, there's some giant crabs, and of course the mighty kraken. Like top work on the fish across the board. But some of the non-fish stuff feels a little bit more random. I'm not sure why we needed an old man, other than fighting fantasy books having a weird love affair with old men. An old merman or an old mermaid living in the midst of an undersea garden would have been, I think, a better fit with the general ambience. We also get a magical underwater sprites, because it was the 1980s and for some reason all gaming material had to contain at least one magical pixie or leprechaun by law and if there's one trope I'm very glad we've moved away from over the decades it's the prevalence of mischievous and diminutive magical imps in fantasy games. I'm also not sure about learning to duel with a mysterious fish-headed man who lives in a painting it feels a bit random. I'm not opposed to things being random or strange or surreal. I like random, strange, surreal, but I like it better in a more dungeon-based setting where part of the fun is leaning into the artificiality of that construct and the fact that the ecology of it makes no sense. Now, your mileage may vary, obviously, but that's kind of how I felt about it. I do want to stress that the vast majority of the encounters are really good and they feel very appropriate. The underwater setting. It had some of the feel I was hoping to get from Seas of Blood, but that book went in a slightly different direction and rather undersold the nautical pirate cliches. Demons of the Deep delivers exactly the kind of soggy, good time I was hoping for. And if there's some weird choices and things are a little bit rough around the edges in some parts, I have to remember that I've just finished the draft of a book. It's also got some weird choices that I'm definitely not going back to fix, because it turns out going back to fix things in adventure game books is really hard. Much harder than in a normal novel, interestingly. Also, you can finish up the captain of a captured pirate ship crewed by skeletons well before Pirates of the Caribbean made that fashionable. And for me, that covers a multitude of sins. There's also a pleasant amount of choice in how you approach various encounters. There's lots more options for running away than usual, and that feels appropriate for a 3D environment where you can swim in lots of different directions. And you can also choose to attack many of the NPCs, but it tends to be fairly obvious when talking is a better plan. And I think that's still good design, because even if the right answer is fairly obvious, the fact that you are being given a choice, helps add to that sense of agency. And sometimes it's quite fun to make what you know is the suboptimal choice just out of a vague sense of devilment. So I do appreciate that. If your stats suck, you can, I think, avoid almost every difficult fight. And the few obligatory ones are scarcely difficult. And the book does seem to be quite well balanced for a weaker character, but that does end up making a lot of the combat scenes a bit underwhelming if you've got decent roles on your stats. And I think that's a weakness of the system as a whole, that actually balancing a book for both strong and weak characters is enormously difficult. Depending on where the fights are pitched, you'll either end up dying half the time or breezing through them half the time. And having played a bunch of these back to back, I actually prefer the combat harder because I always roll a better than average character in the expectation that I'll need good stats to get through. I blame Ian Livingstone. Now, it's traditional at this point to mention iterations on the combat system. There's obviously the cool fight where there's the dolphin on your side, which inverts the usual combat rules with multiple characters. But there's also a neat fight at the end, which has about six enemies, but runs so that you're only ever fighting two of them at the time, which is really nice. There's that big scary grouper, which runs off when you put up a proper fight. That's really smart animal design. Jackson's pulling out some cool combat tricks, but they're all ones that make sense, and they all make the fights more enjoyable. It's not complexity for complexity's sake. I also need to call out the art. I thought it was very strong on this one. There's quite a few encounters that are simply different flavours of fish, and the art by Bob Harvey does a lot to help differentiate them in my eyes. He's employed a slightly cartoonish style which exaggerates the differences between the different underwater creatures in a way that gives them a very strong visual identity. I think that's great art because it fills some of the blanks left by the tight prose style that fighting fantasy employs. I always love an artist who is doing more than showing you something the text has already adequately described. And for that, I think a lot of Harvey's work on this book is bang on the money. There's really not much else to say. This is a solid entry in the canon. I think I like it more than Scorpion Swamp, which had the same tremendous game design, but a lackluster atmosphere. Here, it feels more like Jackson is drawing from both the British Steve Jackson and Ian Livingstone to generate something that has both Intricate design, formal innovation, but also a really strong sense of setting and place. Probably could have stood to be a little bit harder, but that is a minor niggle, honestly. I just loved how much fun it was to replay. And in many ways, it's one that gets better each time you go through it. So yeah, really, really great book. Well worth getting hold of. I can't remember what I paid for this copy, but I don't think it was a huge amount. This is not one of the ones that's difficult to get hold of. That is it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back with a bonus episode later this month. It's one that a lot of people, by which I mean several people, have asked for, and I am super excited about it. In the meantime, you can get hold of me by email on hjdoomretrofun, or one word, at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this, consider leaving a rating or review on the podcast provider of your choice. It really helps. Take care and I'll see you soon.